This is Wading Deep, a podcast that explores the connection between environmental justice and race. Racism pollutes our people and land. Resilience, our strength of spirit and hand. Resurrection, our healing, made whole we stand. I'm your host, the Reverend Jamon Taylor, rector at St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, a congregation with a long history of challenging environmental racism. I am honored to welcome today's guest, Amin Davis, Partners for Environmental Justice, PEJ board member. Welcome, Amin. Thank you, Reverend Taylor. I appreciate you reaching out to me and um, us having this conversation. We've had fabulous conversation. Uh, this is the, the third segment. Um, we talk, You talked about uh, different development models, urban development models, particularly in Raleigh, um, how there's equitable development, then also revitalization without displacement. Talk about Southeast Raleigh Promise. I wonder if you can talk about your experience with downtown South, uh, both you and I, spent a lot of time uh, with downtown South uh, really was partners for environmental justice, PEJ that led the way um, one wake uh, organization that St. Ambrose started about three years ago also helped, but not as much as PEJ talk about uh, downtown South and, and maybe walk us through that development process as you saw it. Sure. Well, um, I'd heard, you know, that that development had been in the um, in the news for um, many years. Um, the envi- envisioning of a major league soccer stadium uh, in downtown Raleigh, along with some supporting development. Um, so, but really, in in terms of the how it moved forward, uh, I became aware of it through uh, a colleague with the Walnut Creek Community Partnership who sent an email saying that there was going to be a um, community meeting regarding the rezoning for this downtown South project. So that's how um, PEJ first became aware of this. And we um, had a conversation with uh, a gentleman who would help arrange the meeting and who was actually familiar with Southeast Raleigh, was familiar with PEJ, um, and just asked him, well, why, why weren't we notified of, of, of this meeting? And, um, he, he apologized for not letting us know and all of that. And we sat in on, um, some of the, um, uh, one of the early, uh, community meetings about this. So, um, as the process, um, you know, we engaged with, um, the developers, um, Kane Realty, we engaged with um, uh, City of Raleigh Planning uh, Department and the Planning Commission. Um, we sat in on many, uh, many of the meetings and it became aware, particularly in the Planning Commission, that um, the developers were not doing a, a good job with community engagement. They were doing it by the letter of the law in terms of notifying residents. I'm not sure whether it was 500 feet from the proposed 
project site or what it was, but it's a relatively small distance. And obviously with a proposed development of this size being the largest proposed development in the city of Raleigh's history, um, you would need more community engagement than um, just the, that limited area around this proposed development near Interstate 40 and South Saunders Street. So as that played out, um, particularly even in the um, planning commission meetings, um, it, was, it was obvious that even many of the planning commissioners were frustrated with the lack of um, uh, engagement with the community, with community organizations, um, and also with, it, it seemed as though there was, um, the developer was not doing an adequate job of um, reaching out. And then even the online meetings, we were meeting during COVID, which is understandable. Um, however, the meetings were controlled to where um, it didn't seem like a, a true public meeting because the developers were controlling the Zoom process in which people could not speak freely. Um, the questions were monitored and it, it just did not, um, it couldn't be really considered a public meeting. So as the process played out, um, you know, we advocated as far as we PEJ, we advocated for that um, the developers integrate above and beyond stormwater management for the to reduce the amount of flooding downstream because Rochester Heights, St. Ambrose Church, where you the where you shepherd is literally it was less than a mile downstream of this proposed site along Walnut Creek. Much of the development was going to um, occur right around Walnut Creek. And with a development of this size, and you know, with your involvement with the uh, Raleigh Stormwater Management Advisory Commission, that when you build, um, when you develop on currently undeveloped land, you're going to automatically increase the runoff, stormwater runoff off the land. And generally, that's piped directly in the streams. And that's why you have more uh, water. That's why you have downstream flooding. And that's why you have more erosion and degradation of water quality. So um, that was our primary the, uh, advocacy was that they um, go above, they put above and beyond stormwater conditions in the, as a rezoning condition for this project. We also were supportive of some of the other non-environmental elements, such as affording, affordable housing such as um, the inclusion of minority business enterprises as part of the development, because this development is gonna obviously have not just an entertainment or soccer stadium, but um, housing, um, retail, and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, the planning commission, um, uh, you know, we know that they um, voted unanimous, unanimous, unanimously um, to oppose this the rezoning of this project, um, and the city council uh, uh, voted unanimously in favor of of this project. So um, the what the outcome of it in terms of what was put in the rezoning conditions, um, we uh, we were happy that the developer did put above and beyond stormwater management provisions into. Um, uh, as a con rezoning condition, um, in addition to being willing to establish funds that would go towards 
matching grant funds to do stormwater and watershed improvement projects, not only at the proposed site, but anywhere within the Walnut Creek watershed, which begins in Cary near Cary Town Center and flows through um, NC State, Southeast Raleigh, and eventually into the Neuse River. So that we were definitely pleased with, with that provision. Um, we had hoped that there would be more community benefits that would be incorporated as rezoning conditions that some of our community partners advocated for. And those community benefits would ensure that things like acceptable um, affordable housing um, uh, provisions, uh, minority, and, and basically community, the benefits that the community would want and felt strongly about that they voiced during the rezoning process would be made a part of um, the rezoning conditions. Um, unfortunately, those weren't made a part of the rezoning conditions. Hopefully, they can still be become a reality as the as this development moves forward over the course of the next 15 to 20 years. I appreciate your running through that. Um, I think it was you who invited me to the initial meeting. I think that was August of 2020. Um, and I remember sitting in that Zoom meeting. Again, I knew you were in that meeting because you sent me the invite, but um, the attendance list was not made public. We were not able to ask questions, uh, came realty presented. And I remember sitting in that meeting thinking we are going to, we being St. Ambrose are going to get flooded. Uh, Rochester Heights is going to get flooded. And I thought that for the third time in our over 150 year history, St. Ambrose will have to move again by forces that we have no control over. And I remember reaching out to you and having conversation and what, um, bothered me so much was that in the rezoning request in September of 2020, it said that there are, there is no stormwater impact from this development, which was ludicrous. I'm just going to go through some of the numbers for downtown South, about 145, 150 acres. They're at South Saunders Street and I-40, 38 million square feet of new development. Downtown Raleigh, has 32 million square feet. So downtown South was larger than downtown Raleigh. Uh, it was only uh, three quarters of a mile upstream from Walnut Creek on St. Ambrose. Uh, that, that size is half the size of the North Carolina State Fairgrounds, that it would have hotel rooms equivalent to three downtown Marriott hotels, 1,200 hotel rooms, a stadium the size of the PNC Arena, uh, twelve uh, twenty thousand seats, um, twice the residential units at North Hills Mall, seventeen fifty units, and nearly double the office space at North Hills Mall, uh, one point seven million square feet of office space, and an increase of uh, six point eight million gallons per day of wastewater increase from this development. Um, eighty acres of the proposed site was is wooded so going to raise that area and yet in the rezoning in september no stormwater impact for development that straddles walnut creek and so through community organizing and pushing and, and partnering with the city and and uh the planning commission and stormwater um when the final vote was cast by the city council that rezoning request had um over 1,500 words dedicated to stormwater and a separate 
legally binding document around a stakeholder fund, which you now are chair of that stakeholder fund with um, two and a half million dollars grant matching, which means you have a capacity for five million dollars of all that is is matched at six flood prone areas off site. Um, still, when I talk to city officials today and those around the country, they cannot think of an example of a project that has gone this way. It's really an example of a partnership um, that started in a place that was not good uh, and ended in a better place. I won't say it ended in a good place because we wanted workforce development, affordable housing, we didn't get those, but ended in a better place, particularly um, around stormwater. And um, I'm just grateful for PEJ and and pushing that that effort forward. Yeah, well, it was, um, you know, again, we give the developers, um, you know, credit for being willing to incorporate that, even though from our perspective, and if you look at the history of, um, you know, not just the past history, but even the current history of flooding along Walnut Creek, particularly their their communities downstream of, um, uh, along Walnut Creek, downstream of Rochester Heights, it's Dacian Road and Rose Lane that um, currently uh, are more flood prone and, and and have more issues than Rochester Heights currently does. But but regardless of that, you know, it, it seemed to be a, a no brainer that these types of provisions should be put into um, a rezoning condition of this nature. Um, and, you know, we're hope, you know, I, I, it's hopeful that the city and their development review process, there can be um you know, more consideration or more attention given to developments and how they can impact stormwater, particularly in the Walnut Creek watershed. There are other watershed, flood prone watersheds in, in the city. You know, Crabtree Creek is is definitely one that we all think of. Um, and, a, you know, an example of the type of development that, um, you know, shouldn't happen and, you know, definitely give the city credit for passing legislation that is going to limit development in floodplain areas. Um, so, uh, you know, ho- hopefully th- this example um, and this partnership that, um, you know, uh, took, uh, took, took a lot of investment um, and, and, and partners to make happen can be, can be replicated um, uh, in, in future small or large developments. Um, in in the city of Raleigh and and beyond. Yeah, when you talked about the planning commission voting unanimously to reject a rezoning request, and then the city uh, council, there was only one dissenting vote, but the other uh, council members voting in agreement to go against the will of the experts, the planning commission, in order to to pass this rezoning. I spoke to the historian for the city of Raleigh. Um, and he said it had been either 10 or 15 years since an event like that had happened, where a wow. unanimous vote from a commission was ignored and overturned by the city council um, that went in, in, in a different direction. Um, but you're right. The I think not. I think downtown South has changed the narrative. As it comes to development and even the um, Walnut Creek Stakeholder Fund, which I briefly mentioned, that was formed as part of this community benefit agreement where you are um, 
the president or chair. Someone from Kane Realty is is the co-chair, and I serve as treasurer. Um, that that fund is a model, and even in city council meetings, um, I've heard city councilors um, say, "Well, we know this fund exists. Perhaps um, a developer can either designate to this fund or form their own fund um, to address flooding." And and I think that's a move in the right direction. Yeah, I would I would agree with that because you know again these issues come up and you know downtown south is not the only development it's probably it's the biggest in the city of Raleigh but there are many other developments that are happening um, near or um, literally adjacent to Walnut Creek or other um, flood sensitive areas that could um, you know increase flooding to flood sensitive areas so. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully this this model can you know can again can be replicated. Time will tell because this is a you know this is a fifteen to twenty year process with this downtown South development. So you know time will tell whether it it, it did achieve its intended purpose. But I think as you said, even bringing more attention to this issue um, among you know the different city stakeholders, whether it be the you know city council, planning commission. Um, uh, and and even just the community being more aware of the you know these the, these issues, um, so um, in the stakeholder group, you know we feel good that the stakeholder group there are folks from the um, there are community members that are part of the stakeholder group, so that the decision making process and how these funds are used will have community input, and it won't be. Um, uh, uh, it, it won't be essentially mandated by either Kane or PEJ what how these funds are used because they're really designated to benefit the particularly the flood sensitive communities. One of the things I often talk about um, is non climate stressors as it relates to flooding, and I know you've done tremendous research around the Walnut Creek watershed. We know climate change exists. We do not deny that. And we know that non-climate stressors like development upstream impact the watershed. I know you formed the Walnut Creek watershed action team um, stakeholders. Can you talk a little bit about that group and, and the work that's done? Sure. Yeah, we began meeting in late 2017, uh, and the meeting started with just folks from uh, the town of Cary, city of Raleigh, um, Wake County, and NC State University. Since in terms of land holdings and, um, I guess, influence and leadership, those were kind of the, the core stakeholders. So the, the intent and mission of that group is to try to collaborate efforts of education, engagement, and the implementation of watershed improvement projects to improve conditions within the Walnut Creek watershed, um, not just environmentally, but socially and economically um, through efforts um, uh, such as uh, watershed improvement projects and um, advocacy and education so that the residents, particularly those that are in these flood sensitive communities can become aware of these issues and begin to advocate for um, their interests, particularly when developments and things may come to uh, that may adversely impact their communities and neighborhoods. So um, we've um, uh, an exciting development is that we have applied to um, the Environmental Protection Agency 
to be designated as the nation's 21st, what's called urban borders, federal partner location. So the EPA has a program that provides resources and also provides a framework to hire a full-time, what's called community watershed ambassador to essentially serve as a liaison between the government partners who have been meeting, the nonprofit organizations and the community um, to essentially take the efforts of the Watershed Action Team, which we call the WAT, and move those efforts um, forward um, in, a, um, um, in, a, in, a, in a better in a better way, because essentially the WAT is comprised of government folks, the Division of Water Resources, um, that there's nobody that essentially can focus on these issues full time. This Urban Waters Partnership, um, federal partnership would provide um, uh, the community watershed ambassador that would could dedicate more time to move these efforts forward and also to engage the community um, more and that the community uh, the community members can become um, a vital part of this partnership. The primary goal of the partnership, EPA's Urban Waters Federal Partnership, is to um, connect um, underserved areas throughout the United States with their water with their waterways, the waterway here being Walnut Creek, but also to help improve conditions and do watershed improvements and advocate for things like green stormwater infrastructure, which goes above and beyond the com um, the um, the current um, stormwater management guidelines to help um, improve conditions in, in the Walnut Creek watershed. So we hope to hear from EPA in the next month or so um, about this. And um, if this moves forward, that's definitely going to help um, amplify um, and energize the, the Watts um, efforts, incremental efforts we've been trying to make since 2017. I think that's fantastic, and we certainly pray that that comes through. Thank you. Yes, please continue to send up prayers, and um, um, you know we hope it will provide. Um, and we know we're we're confident that um, if this partner, if we're designated, that this partnership can provide some tangible um, benefits and improvements to um, residents and communities within the Walnut Creek watershed. What gives you hope? I think the current um, focus in our society on these social justice efforts, environmental environmental justice is, is part of that. Um, you know, again, like with many things, time will tell and the devil is in the details in terms of if this kind of a, awakening and consciousness, if it lasts and if it will um, help to reverse um, environmental racism and environmental justice injustices that are so prevalent in our in our nation and in our communities. Um, so uh, I'm hopeful that there's uh, an awakened consciousness of um, of this. And, um, you know, I hope to continue and I hope um, we and our community partners will continue to advocate for um, these 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 policies and programs that are going to um, hopefully reverse um, a lot of the social and environmental changes that um, 
our communities of color and lower resource communities have been facing for decades. Thank you so much, Amin. I'm always inspired by your work. I feel like you are able to do in 24 hours what others can do in 72. So I guess for you, you have 72 hour days um, because you're pulled in so many areas. You certainly are treasure for the city of Raleigh and, and the larger community. So thank you for taking time to tell your story and share with us. Again, I, I appreciate you having me, Reverend Taylor. Uh, appreciate your your leadership and your, um, you know, how you're advocating for the community, how you're advocating for environmental justice um, in um, Rochester Heights and Southeast Raleigh and even beyond. So I appreciate you as well. The Wading Deep podcast comes to you from a place we affectionately call the Bros, St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, The Bros NC on Twitter, and The Bros 1868 on Instagram. I am your host, the Reverend Jamond Taylor. Gods are going to trouble the water of environmental racism, resurrecting a river of life clear as crystal. Shalom. Salam. Peace.